quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Do your full due diligence before investing, but that knowledge shouldn't keep you on the sidelines. So don't wait. Don't procrastinate, but learn and take action. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best of listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into. Any of that fluffy stuff, we don't like it, we don't deal with it, just the good stuff. With us today, and Jayesh Dubey, how you doing, Jayesh? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Joe? I'm glad to hear that. I'm doing well, also. I'm doing great, also. How about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, definitely. Why do well when you can do great? Exactly. So with us today, as I mentioned, Jayesh, he is the co-founder of Dubey Investor Group. He recently launched a fund. He focuses on multifamily. He's a general partner on three deals totaling a little under 700 units based in the San Francisco Bay Area. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, definitely. So first and foremost, super happy to be here. So thanks for having me, Joe. A little bit about my background. I've been involved in real estate for over 14 years as a passive investor, buying real estate in various markets across the U.S. Presently, my main focus revolves around managing a real estate fund aims to provide the best ever towns and opportunities for my valued investors. It's also really fulfilling because that allows me to combine my passion for helping others succeed in their goals with my expertise in the real estate investment. Let's talk a little bit about your background. 14 years as a passive investor also? That's right. Yes. So 14 years as a passive investor, I've been buying real estate, single family homes, duplex, duplexes by myself, along with my wife, and we invested in different states. So from there, my journey into real estate actually started right after college because I always wanted to build wealth utilizing real estate. So we purchased our first investment right after the college. And over time, my interest grew. So that's where we built our own portfolio. And then from there, started as a regular natural progression, started looking into the multifamily syndication space. And that led me to being a general partner in three different deals and able to participate in various roles now. And we recently also launched a real estate fund focusing on the multifamily. How long were you an investor in your own deals until you were a general partner? For about 13 years, been doing it just by myself. And last year, we started doing a syndication. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us about that first deal right after college. Was it a single family home? Yeah, it just came because before even diving into the real estate, I was in college and I was pursuing my education in the computer science at San Jose State University right here in Bay Area. And from there, I graduated just like a regular progression from there, got internship, and then from there just became a software engineer and working full-time in the technology industry. So I still work full-time in the technology industry as an engineering leader and leading successful teams and managing them. But 
right after the college, I wanted to invest and it was new. So I did not know what was IRR or what's the cash flow means or how do I calculate a different financial terms on to make a sense of deal. So I started with just my investment as a land because where I grew up, the land is the most valuable asset that you can buy because everyone knows that you cannot produce land. That is a limited asset. So invested in the land and that obviously appreciated for a while. And I still have that actually piece of the land. Nothing we built on it, but it grew just because of the time and the market. I just grew six, seven X now, still keeping it. And then it's going doing good. From there, started buying into single families. That's correct. Started right here in Bay Area, smaller single family unit. And from there, once it started to cash flow, lower interest rates, after two years, bought again in Texas and then Indiana and then North Carolina. So just from there, we started going into the growing markets by just doing a little bit of busy research, building our own team on local real estate agents, property managers, and it takes time, but we were also not in a rush. So every year, two years, we just buy one property. And then over 13 years, then we had a portfolio. Why didn't you continue to buy land? A couple of reasons. I think the financing on that is tricky because banks would like to see something built on that. So if you have to buy land, you either have to come out most of the equity by yourself. Second, can't use the leverage, then that's a challenge because your cash flow is lesser. That means and your final returns are also lesser. And then since there is no cash flow coming in from there, you are not really building any equity either. So mm-hmm. I think when we understood that, like, okay, we can move on to some residence because that's what where people could live and then it appreciates better as well. Okay. How much was the land purchase after college? That was a smaller purchase, $25,000, smaller piece of the land. And the one reason is also to move away from there since it doesn't generate any income, but it has taxes and expenses are there, right? So you still have to continue to pay into it instead of it's paying out. Then you bought a house in the Mm -hmm. Bay Area. How much was that? That was about $450,000, smaller townhome style within the community with an HOA. And with that one, we leveraged it at 75, 25. So brought in 25% equity and 75 finance because the interest rates were better. So we got to a three. At that time, it was 3.75 around. From there, then we rented it, self-managed it. It was our learning journey. Ran into a challenge with our tenant into that. Actually, our first ever tenant in the real estate journey ever after six months had to go through the eviction. So learn from that because we did not do our own due diligence. We thought that, okay, they're showing all the paperwork. It looks good. And we were not as thorough as we should be. So real learning from there. And then we got real tight after that and then looking at all the paperwork to when we're buying tenants. So that was about a $112,000 down payment, right? That is correct. Okay. And then you started purchasing in different states, Texas, Indiana, North Carolina. Approximately, what were your down payments in those three states? In Texas, between $250,000 to $500,000 property in those areas, and then able to generate income, definitely a certain cash flow from per unit, $200 to $500 after all the expenses. If it's a 250000 again, targeting about 25% to 30% down. 
on a 500,000 dollar property we usually try to put about quarter in there so uh, 100,000 plus you did that for 13 years and then just a year ago you started focusing on the larger apartment buildings why not just build your portfolio and keep 1031ing your own properties and go larger and larger and own it all to yourself and your significant other I believe that that's still a good process that I could continue doing, but I feel that it takes a lot of time of my own time and it doesn't go fast for either because I think I believe that longer you own real estate, better it is. But by just doing it by myself, it limits one because I'm just doing it myself. It just limits into my own knowledge and my own expertise. And if I make mistakes, it will be just my mistakes. I'm not leveraging other people's expertise at all. Mm. Second, I get limited by the capital because it's just my capital and it takes time to refill the capital a couple of years to buy it again and rinse and repeat. With the syndication, I think now that after so many years, I built some expertise and skill sets, I can apply those skill sets into a larger space where we can bring in expertise of other general partners, utilize capital from other people who lack skill sets or who have not invested in real estate before and make their goals achieve. And then while at the same time, achieve our own goals as well. So I feel that it's a win-win situation. And lastly, with single family and smaller properties, at after some time, once you have 10, 15, 20 properties, it does not scale because each one has their own property manager, different location and different issues, different neighborhood, different challenges with each area and cities, laws and taxes. With the syndication space, you get one large property, you have to just deal with one set of the team and you still get same or more returns. So Mm -hmm. I think just leveraging the economies of scale is great with the syndication space. Makes sense. As far as the three deals you're a general partner on, what is your role? Mainly, I focus on raising capital for those deals and helping out after the close of the deal, helping out in the asset management, not as actively, but getting onto the calls and providing my expertise and suggestions to the property management and the asset manager. So work as a team and also managing the investor relationships. With the three deals that you're a general partner on, how are they doing? That is a great question. So each property is doing differently because they, first of all, they are in a different areas. They have different set of general partners and different statistics and different neighborhoods. So the one that I have in Jacksonville, it's cash flowing it. We have a rate cap on all the deals, which is great because of the rising interest rate environments. We are got saved by that heavy expenses. Definitely the stuff that we underwritten it, the interest rate are higher because after that it hit the rate cap. So our cash flow has decreased what we projected, but the good thing is that we are still not cash negative. So that is the best part. So what are we focusing on right now is renovating the units as fast as possible, turn over the bad debt if there is any, and make that asset more stabilized as soon as possible for it to be able to refinance because that would allow us to be able to return some of the capital to our investors and also get into the fixed rate. Well, I might have some follow-up questions just to learn more about each of them. Let's talk about all three. That's a great overview. Thanks. So let's talk about the second one. So second one, we had a lot of vacancy in there. Where is it located? It's located in Macon, Georgia. 
And one of the reasons the vacancies were because obviously the asset was not in a good condition. So we got it at a really good cost basis, $60,000 per unit. So it was great buy in terms of that and total 176 units on that. So our business plans anyways was the vacancy going to be high because we are going to be renovating very fast on that one and turning around tenants who are not paying and moving them to fill in with the better tenants who are more qualified and will pay regularly. So anytime we are moving out the bad tenants or bad debt, we are turning over quickly and re-renting it uh, with a refinish the unit, renovate the unit, and then leasing it to the better tenant class. Previously, before closing our business plan to finish the renovation by sometime mid or later next year, but with the progress we are making, we are targeting to finish our 80% of the renovation by the end of this year. So we are going very, very fast. And that will allow us to be able to stabilize quickly and then able to refinance into the better debt after that. Got it. Okay. Third deal? Third deal is in actually in Atlanta, Georgia. That is a unique deal. It is all duplexes in there. So it is 52 duplexes in one community. So really 104 units. And the business plan over there before the acquisition was to upgrade these units and make them from two bed, two bath to three bed, two bath utilizing the garage space and converting that into the bedroom. Because in that community, there is a high demand for more bedrooms because there are bigger families with children and there is growing demand for just larger places. So that fit well. And that is the deal that's actually doing a pretty good job. The challenge over there is that tenants just are good tenants. There is no bad debt. Everyone pays on time. It is still at a 99% occupancy is just great but the challenge with that that we cannot go faster on the renovation of the units as we would like to because tenants just we have to increase the rent at the market rate if i increase it by 500 700 and they're like yeah that's fine we really love here to live and we have a lot of family members who live into different units as well so we like to stay like oh then in that scenario how do we renovate so What are we doing there is giving them the option that you move them to a renovated unit and then renovate the one that got empty. But because of that, it goes slower. So the renovation is going slower, but it's really cash flowing really well because occupancies continue to be high and we are able to increase the rents without the expenses. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? SyndicationAttorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At SyndicationAttorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Nice. So for all of those three, are you still paying distributions? 
we are taking a conservative approach. We are holding on on the distributions till the refinance on some of these deals are done because we don't want to go out to the distributions. And if something did not go as planned, we do not want to dilute our investors. And if we needed a capital back. Are all three paused? One deal in Jacksonville has done a distribution. And previously we were planning to do a 1% distribution, but it have, we have reduced it to a half a percent right now. And we are hoping that we will be able to increase it more than 1% once the cash flow becomes better. The other two are on pause, yes. Why would the Atlanta one be on pause? Uh, that one, yeah, no, that's that, a great that, question. What's the reason for that? The Atlanta one is actually in the correction that is not on pause, but there is a restriction from the lender that no distributions for 12 months after the closure. So we closed on mm. it in the last year, June. So that restriction is going to go away pretty much yesterday. So now we are going to take a look, get an approval from the lender, and then like, are we ready to do the distribution? And then once they say yes, it will be good. Nice. What have you learned from being a general partner to date? I know it's been a year, but you're in three deals. And I know you've picked up some things given your academic background as a software engineer and having an engineering mind. Know your type, your smart cookies. So <laughs> what have you learned from these three deals? I think a lot of learning was around that once you start the execution, you can do whatever the due diligence we can on the deal before the purchase. The business plan is not necessarily going to go in the way that you hoped for. So there are always going to be the variation and that presents a risk. So really, you cannot know everything. And when there are surprises, I think the most important thing is to have network and connections and access to the capital to be able to mitigate those risks. I think that is the most important thing because in one of the properties we found after the due diligence one, and especially in the Jacksonville one, we found that there is a plumbing that needs to be changed completely for the units because it's getting really old and it's busting out. So we had to add that as part of an expense after the close. Um, the good thing was that lender agreed to add that expense as part of a capital expenditure that they were giving us the funds for. But the things like that will come up. But the real thing is that if people have experience and you have a team of people who have expertise who have done that in the past, they will be more suited to be able to mitigate those scenarios than anyone else. So that's the most important learning I think I got. Reminds me of the Mike Tyson quote. You <laughs> yeah. heard that one. Everyone's got a plan yeah. to, to look at punch in the face. Correct. But you said it much more eloquently and I appreciate that and I like that. Basically, once you start and execute the execution, it's game on. And as you said, the business plan won't go exactly how you plan because you're dealing with people. You're dealing right. with people and you're dealing with circumstances, some under your control, but you, I, others might mess up and some circumstances outside of our control. So you said something very, in my opinion, spot on, which is you've got to have the expertise and you've got to have access to capital. So you've got to have a team of experts and you've got to have access to capital to navigate. And if you have that, then you can navigate because we're dealing with apartment communities. We're not dealing with a software that might not be in demand or might go out of favor. We're dealing with apartments where 
there's clearly demand for them. So it really is an execution and access to capital equation that needs to be solved for when challenges come up. So thank you for sharing that. With your fund, knowing what you know now, I assume, first off, let me make sure my assumption is correct. I assume that you are raising money in a fund and then you decide where that money goes based on qualifying operators and deals. And then you take that fund and you invest in other people's deals, correct? That's correct. Yeah. The minor difference there is that my own investors can choose. So the fund will have a multiple opportunities, but my investors can choose. I like this location. I like the pro forma on this. I like the returns on this, or I like the operator here. I want to mm-hmm. go with this much money in this deal. And then they get to choose it and invest it via my fund. Nice. Knowing what you know now, what are two questions that you might not have asked if you weren't on these three deals as a general partner? that you will ask prospective general partners that you bring your investors to via your fund? Two questions that you wouldn't have asked, but you would now know what you know. I think the most important question I would ask, how are their current deals performing? I want to hear about what are the ones which are in trouble and how are they managing that trouble? How are they managing that risk? I don't want to hear a lot more about the current deal, but I want to know that what challenges they have seen so far and how are they mitigating it? Because that will help me build trust in them that if challenges arises here, then they are capable and suitable to be able to overcome them. And then I will ask is who all are in their general partner team? Uh, how are they going to they need a capital? What are certain avenues they would utilize to access that capital? So those are the two main questions I'd ask. So how are the deals performing currently? You want to know about any ones that are in trouble? And then who is on the general partner team? And have a follow-up question within that on how are they accessing capital when they need access to it, correct? Yeah, yeah. On the first question, how are deals performing? You asked that question, and then their answer is, we have a couple deals, their distributions are on pause, but we are... At 95% occupancy, and we're going to continue renovations and refinance it. What's a follow-up question that you'd have to determine how much trouble they are in, if at all? The occupancy doesn't tell all details, whether that is good or not. So how far they are in their business plan to be able to refi. So if they say they are ready to refi, then that's when they will return the capital that means their business plan should be at least 80% or above done or completed uh, by now. And if they are 95%, that means it's a stabilized property. So my follow-up question would be, if it is so stabilized already right now, then why the distributions are on pause? Why do you see the risk for that to not being able to do that distribution? Taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing investment? My best real estate advising ever is don't be on the sidelines. The markets just keep fluctuating for sure, but get your knowledge, learn more as much as you can, do your full due diligence before investing, but that knowledge shouldn't keep you on the sidelines. So don't wait, don't procrastinate, but learn and take actions. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best of the lightning round? 
Absolutely. What deal have you lost the most amount of money on? Due to the low interest environment, like many people, I have been fortunate. I have not yet lost money. I may have gotten a break even, but not yet lost it. What did you break even on? Break even on one of the property that I bought in Missouri, which then I sold. It was a duplex. It was hunky, but then I ran into a lot of bad tenants, bad debt, evictions, just neighbors fighting with each other. They are doing holes in the wall and things like that. So it was not a good property. It was a good asset, but just not in a good location. So one learning from there was that always look for location, 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 like everyone says. But on that one, I went for a cash flow, but then that's a challenge I ran into. But it is still appreciated. And I decided to sell it and I broke even on that one. Sounds like my fourth house that I bought. <laughs> very, very, very similar story. What is the best ever way you'd like to give back to the community? I like to give back by educating my time to coaching individuals and empowering them to thrive personally and professionally. As I mentioned, that by career, I am an engineering leader. So I help individuals and professionals in their career by just giving them my time and help them achieve their goals and unlock their true potential in their whatever it is, whether it's a career, business or financial independence. And I do this all voluntarily. I give that time so that they can uh, learn more what I have from my experience. And Josh, how can the best of the listeners learn more about what you're doing? The best way to reach out is via LinkedIn. Look me up. Let's connect. My website is dubayinvestorgroup.com and I'm very active on LinkedIn. Thanks for sharing your story with us, sharing your lessons that you've learned from being on three deals as a general partner and also from your 13 years of experience prior to that, building your own portfolio. Really appreciate you sharing your insight with us. I love talking to individuals who have been in there and done it themselves, got some scars, learned some lessons, and then can share with us so that we don't necessarily have to do certain things that they already learned from and we can all get better faster together. So thanks so much, Josh, for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Joe. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.